Hey friends, today we're talking about preserving our food. So if you're like anybody else in the Southeast United States or even uh, other parts of the United States, the harvest is coming in now, right? And let's talk about how to preserve that, different ways to put that up and have delicious, wholesome, nutritious food throughout the winter. Join us today as we chat about all of that. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life Podcast, where we believe that life is a schoolhouse. Totally. We're super dorks with a passion for sharing our love of homeschooling, homesteading, natural health care, plant medicines, natural childbirth, healthy eating, meditation, creative endeavors, overall self-sufficiency for the whole family. Oh, and don't forget self-development and spirituality. Oh, of course. Key players. We hope you'll be inspired to do things you haven't, try things that could make your life better, and mostly we want to encourage you to never stop learning and let your life be a schoolhouse too. So today we are talking about preservation and we're talking about how we are maintaining and keeping all of the things that are coming out of the garden. It is the peak of the season. So we've got tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and berries of all kinds coming in. And so now it's time to prep for the fall and winter. And I want to point out though, I'm going to start with like, okay, we can get a little overwhelmed by this. We can get into like this, like the more, the better, the more, the better, which, you know, may or may not be true, but What I think is really smart at the beginning of your preservation season is to really come up with a plan of like, what do I actually need to have on my shelves? What do we eat? What do we consume in the months that we won't have vegetables coming in from the garden? So, you know, it's not like we actually have to plan for 12 months, right? Because before, you know, it's really more like six to nine months because we're going to have another garden next year and then these things will be back. I'll add, we don't have to plan for more than a year if we're also saving seeds, which will have to be another podcast, right? Uh, Oh, true. If you are one of those people that thinks, hey, maybe I can't get seeds next spring, then maybe you do need to preserve more. (laughs) (laughs) Or just, yeah, like learn how to save those seeds from what you're harvesting. But I will say there are definitely, there are, you know, you kind of, if you're talking about like, preparing for the end of days, then you might, or a famine potentially, or something like that, then you may want to stockpile a little bit more. But what we've noticed is that if you do too much, then you just have it left over. And then when it comes time to, you know, can your sauce for next year, you still have six jars of sauce. From 2008. And who wants to (laughs) eat those when you can have fresh, right? So we just don't, you know, like, not only is it a waste of time, it's also a waste of energy, particularly when we're talking about, yeah, canning, because it does require propane or electric or something along those lines. But anyway, so just map it out. Like, how many cans of sauce do you actually need? How many sun-dried tomatoes will you actually eat? How many jars of jelly will your family consume? Making a list like that is really good. And then it also can help you keep and keep organized and maintain sort of a um, inventory because what I've noticed is it's easy to lose track of all that you have and you find yourself like instead of shopping in the pantry because things got piled behind other things going to grocery store anyways that makes me want to that makes me think like I love to put a clipboard in our pantry that just had it so you could check off what you pulled I feel like I saw somebody else do that. Oh, no, it's totally a thing. Here's why I haven't done it. Because I don't think that my family would participate. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then that I'd just be more frustrated. Yeah. There's maybe, a good chance Maybe of that we could also. try. <laughs> However, I do think that it is a good, in theory, idea to kind of just have a, a piece of paper so you know somewhere in the back of this pantry there's another jar of jelly. So Yeah, and last year we did set that, like, with our berries and stuff. We said, okay, we want to have, like... One pie a week. One pie a week, uh, one peach pie a week, one blueberry pie a week. And right. then, so then you start looking at like, 
Well, then I really only need four jars of peaches a month. And that's going to be for the next like five months until peaches come back around. Right. So, you know, then it ends up not being this like where you need like thousands of jars. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's been really freeing for us. Like Lacey said, the goal this year of what was it? 20 mm -hmm. quarts of uh, tomato sauce. sauce. Yeah. Which we're almost there. And it's, that's not really that much at all. Like not when you have so many tomatoes. No. <laughs> and we have lots of tomatoes, but we don't have like, you know, some of our friends have like hundreds of tomato plants and we have like three small rows and it's just so much less work, so much less work than, <laughs> than uh, other people that I see just toiling in their gardens. Like we don't need that much more. So. But that's a lesson learned the hard way. We've had right. years where we've had uh, like so much coming in they were literally coming out of our ear balls. Ear, ear balls. balls. Yeah. Ear, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. But anyway, so yeah, just having a plan, mapping it out. What do you actually need to do instead of what can I do? Because I think that as homesteaders, we can, we tend to fall victim of uh, like, oh, well, if I can, I will. Right. Like, right. Yeah. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is there's no shame in having free time. And I think that there is like an element in the homesteading community of like, if you're sitting down, you're not, you're not getting something done, right? Like, yeah, so that's, that's a my, whole other podcast. Yeah. But. The time podcast. Go listen right, to that Go one. listen to the time <laughs> podcast. But anyway, so what are the different kinds of preservation? We You have a lot of options. And I think that that's another key is like picking what your family will really enjoy. We talked a little bit about canning. It's definitely one of the, I think, most efficient ways just because you don't need to have a refrigeration system. Now, it does take a lot of energy on the front end. We have to, most things you have to cook first, whether you're making sauces or jellies or whatever, soups. And then you also have to either pressure can or, or uh, water bath them, which takes more energy, right? So you like just thinking about this, like canning sounds so beautiful and like self-sufficient and all of these things. But if you don't have energy, you can't do it. If you don't have power, you can't do it. I mean, essentially, I feel like you could, worst case, build a fire and put your pressure canner over the fire. Worst that would, case. That would be very difficult to regulate, but it could be done. Surely um, they did that in olden times, right? I think pressure cooker canners are kind of a newer invention. Yeah, I don't know. They're also very thin, so I don't know if they could handle an actual, an actual fire. fire. Yeah. yeah, they're all aluminum. Anyway. But, uh, so pressure canning is my favorite. I, I like... I like Satisfying. that aspect of it. I like it better than water bathing. It makes your pantry look like a grocery store. It does. In the water bathing, like you have to stand over this hot pot of water that's boiling. You don't have to stand over it. And you have to watch it. You have to babysit <laughs> it. And it takes forever for it to boil because there's so much water in there. Where the pressure canning, you just put a little bit of water in and put the lid on it and you're good. And yeah. then you talk, in, talk one of your kids into sitting out there and watching it while they read a book. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, water bath canning, I actually prefer. I feel like it's easier and faster, but pressure canning works really well and fast too. So, yeah, you have some choices there. But it just depends on what you're canning. You can't, you need high acidic things for water bathing and you need uh, the low acidic things like applesauce and whatnot need to be pressure canned. So it just depends on what you're working with. Then there's also freezing. Freezing is probably our second most used way of preservation. And what I love about this is it makes it super easy to, and, and fresh. Things just taste fresher when you get them out of the freezer. The, yeah, and I, in my mind, at least, I believe there's probably a little bit of nutritional value left in them where when you pressure can, I think you're cooking out most. A lot of the raw goodness, yeah. So, yeah, so fresh, fresher, I think easier a lot of times because you take out, we'll fill a gallon Ziploc bag with beans and then dump half of that in a pan and 
cook them up for dinner and you know that's easy peasy done done and done the downside of freezing is you're reliant on freezers um right we have two currently two extras and if the power goes out or a kid leaves the door open yeah or an adult leaves the door open you can lose everything so there's yeah there's we've had some scary moments thankfully nothing horribly tragic but that that is the downside yeah for sure and so you know and for that reason we have a generator just in case the power does go out for extended period of time right so just you know be thinking about like what kind of inputs do you have and do you want to even maintain and then next up would be dehydrating so dehydrating is actually probably one of my favorites because usually you eat it straight out like there's no pressure canning there's no freezing you pull it out and you can eat it or you can rehydrate it so a good example of this is tomatoes tomatoes you can dehydrate and the cool thing about tomatoes is you can do this in the sun you can do this in your dehydrating oven or in a dehydrator which generally dehydrators use very little energy because because they're at like a 170 max, I think is the temp, temp mm-hmm. maybe even lower. So you don't have to get them so hot. They kind of dehydrate naturally. If you have a good sun situation, it doesn't take anything except for solar power. So dehydration, I think is probably one of those ones you want to get really familiar with if you particularly are thinking, you know, end of world. End of times kind <laughs> of thing. We have a really cool dehydrator that actually hangs. It's like, it's like circle shelves and we just keep it down in our basement, kind of near our air conditioning vent down there. It wouldn't work for, it works for herbs and beans and things like that, yeah. but it wouldn't work for tomatoes because they're too, you can't, too juicy. I think you can do tomatoes in there. I've, It'd have to be outside. Yeah. So we it keep it inside. Dripping, in North Carolina, the humidity is a major issue right. for dehydration. So you really have to regulate. If you're doing outdoor dehydration in North Carolina, you have to have some kind of a like oven situation. A fan. To, yeah. And yeah. So that's the only downside is in the summertime when you want to dehydrate, it's usually humid and it makes it difficult. Yeah. But we do use that inside indoor dehydrator for a ton of things, herbs especially. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, what else? We also like to make fruit leathers with a bounty of fruit. Then you can easily just make a puree and you don't even need any sweeteners or pectin or anything. Just spread that out. I like to lay out a liner on the tray, like a, a parchment paper, and then put like a, a very thin layer of whatever it is you're dehydrating. And it doesn't really matter the thickness so long as it's a consistent thickness because you want it all to dehydrate at the same time if you have it bumpy lumpy then you'll get some dehydrated and some not quite still sticky or whatever so apples do really well with that our kids love fruit leathers too so it's a really great way to have um fruit leathers with like no kind of preservatives it's just literally fruit which is really nice to have yeah i will say the downside i feel like i get to keep it in the downside <laughs> the downside to dehydrating is if you don't get enough moisture out it will it'll mold or mm-hmm. rot and mm-hmm. that can be a bummer so just right. really make sure you get get all the moisture out yeah and i think there is there's a way you can test the moisture there's like a tool for that moisture, if you want yeah, yeah. but the cool thing is that you can rehydrate that so like in the olden days they actually use dehydration more than anything and maybe you've seen to you know like apples on a on a string dehydrated well that's how they preserve their apples and then yeah. they would just stew those apples and turn it into applesauce and it would be ready to use yeah. same with tomatoes and a number of all kinds of different things you know from berries to fruits to veggies so I'll um, say too, we've learned that like after you dehydrate, putting it in, like once it's completely dehydrated, putting it in something to keep the critters airtight, out. Airtight, yeah. Yeah, because like we've lost fruit leathers and things to mice because of it not being 
being where they couldn't get it. So mm. just considering that if you're putting them in your pantry. Yeah, jars work good for that too. So yeah, I mean, those are a few of our favorite. And then adding on to that, we've got fermenting, which is something that we always have something culturing on our That's counter. my favorite, I think. It's always an experiment, right? Like right, it feels yeah. like science when you do fermentation. Yeah. It's just fun watching things bubble, yeah. I think is the part I like about well, it. Well, I think there's a miracle to it too. Like we, I made uh, counter pickles and I mean, I'm pretty impressed with it. I don't even like pickles, but I just wanted to try it. And I, you just make a brine with the salt and the water and put the pickles in there with some, some seasonings if you want. And it definitely developed a mold across the top of the water. But the truth is that mold on the top of the water is kind of what you want because that water is the seal on those pickles. So then you take that mold off, you dump off the water and then those pickles are good to go yeah so it's a pretty cool i mean really you're thinking about the preservation is the removing any kind of air from, from right. whatever it is that you're fermenting yeah but sauerkrauts and veggies of all kinds can be preserved through fermentation uh kimchi is another one so mm. uh, i actually have like for our fall garden i've got not brussels sprouts but collards and bok choy and some other things like that going because i plan on fermenting those and making some kimchi and sauerkrauts out of those mm. so those are some like once you make that it just gets better with age i mean it just continues to keep getting better and better in like korea don't they bury them under, yeah and they're not even ready for 10 years right or something yeah crazy. but the health benefits of fermented foods out of everything we've talked about the only one that I feel like makes the food even better for you, I would say, would be the fermenting. Like, mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot of beneficial bacterias. And, oh, the vitamin C in these ferments yeah. is insane. And it's so absorbable by your body that it's... And the gut health, the, the microbiome is so well supported by these ferments that uh, fermentation, if you haven't tried, you should for sure put yeah. that at the top of your list. Especially in times like these where the immune system is what we need to support. These are the these are the basic fundamental foods that our ancestors relied upon because they gave them all the things, these nutrients, and help tap into the nutrients these, these veggies have that we can't get when they're raw. But when you ferment them, it helps release those, break it down enough so that our bodies can fully um, absorb and benefit from. So yeah, fermentation is a huge. And then lastly, I put this on the list, even though we haven't, well, maybe we have. Have we salted anything? Uh, does corned beef count? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Corned beef is salted. We made, made a corned beef. But salting is definitely a way to preserve meats and things. And even, I mean, technically really brining veggies is salting it, right? Right. And then the same for larding. Larding is another option that just you seal basically up your, your stuff. And if you think about cheese, it's not larded, but it's waxed right so these are all ways to sort of prevent the bad stuff and let the foods be ready later so i don't know that's kind of the the only on the only other one i want to add that uh, still fascinates me is the preserving eggs in lime mm. water like lime the like mineral not the fruit but like we had someone in the homestead open house that showed how to do that and it, it, it's just so crazy so if you haven't seen that check that out for sure because i think being able to preserve eggs for a long period of time is also very cool especially in the winter if you if your chickens slow down or in the summer like our chickens <laughs> so yeah that's it i think that's all i got Lacey. what else yeah, no, I mean, I think if you're looking for more information on this, we did a really long, extensive webinar talking about the the pieces and the parts and everything that you'd need to do most of this stuff in the Academy. Yeah. So if you're looking for more detailed information, definitely check that out. I know that canning in particular, pressure canning can be one of those things where people are like, ah, 
know, I'm afraid. Um, but I highly encourage you to give it a try. It's, you know, worked for at least a hundred years. I don't know when yeah. pressure cannon started, but um, it's for sure a good way for you to put up the stuff that you have coming in right now. Yeah. And if you don't know about the Academy, the Academy is our monthly coaching program. Um, it's $17 a month and we help you just kind of map out what your homestead looks like, what your goals are, and then just keep you on track with a Voxer group that we have, monthly challenges, um, and then extra content. It gives you access to all other kinds of freebies too. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go to theschoolhouselife.com backslash the academy or just the schoolhouselife.com. It's up in the menu, but we'd love to have you with that or chat with you if you think that's something that you'd be interested in. Yeah, the, the library is full of great content and you do get access actually to the Homestead Open House and all the videos in there as well. Yeah, to the homeschool open house, the apothecary. We have all kinds of, I mean, it's a crazy amount of content. But that's it on preserving. Let us know what you think about preserving. Send us a comment, send us a DM, share on social media, leave us a review. And uh, we look forward to hearing all about what you think about preserving. Thank you.